Hi everyone, and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. So you've probably seen our announcement recently that given everything that's going on in the world right now, we've decided to postpone our 10th anniversary festival until next year. Hopefully things will be a bit clearer then and we'll all be a bit more used to living in the new normal and we can celebrate our anniversary in full Irish film London style. Until then, fear not, our love and passion for Irish film, arts and culture continues online with our Irish Film From Home programme of digital events and screenings. Just visit irishfilmfromhome.com to get involved. And on top of all of that, now we have a podcast too. This podcast you're listening to right now, to be specific, which we're launching today with an exclusive interview with Claire Dunn and Phyllida Lloyd, the writer and star and the multi-award winning director of Herself, a beautiful Irish film and current darling of film festivals around the world. Premiering in the UK at the London Film Festival, Herself is the story of a young mother who escapes an abusive partner and rediscovers herself while building a new life and fighting Dublin's broken housing system. What do you call that again? I already told you, love. I was in God's pocket. And he said, if I have to find you, I'm just going to have to give you a little mark because there's loads of Sandras in Dublin. <laughs> we can't go on being this far from the school. Just keep telling yourself it's temporary. Yeah, Dad! What are we doing, Sandra? I think this is good for the girls. Ah! I'm dead as... Ah! I want to fix it, you know? You know, however much you may want to, there are some people who you just can't. I don't know why we bothered. None of us are going to get to see this gaff. Sorry, guys. You need very, very few skills to be involved with a team that'll build a house. What can I do for you? I want to build a house. Look, sorry, darling, there's just too many risks for everyone. No harm in asking. Why didn't you ask me? A permanent home. I didn't mean for you to say that. Well, I did. So. It's land, Sandra, going to waste. Use it. A house at the bottom of the garden. It's possible. What? You're going to need somebody who knows what they're doing. He means a man. No, I mean a person. <laughs> Let herself do the honours. Give us a hand. Three. What is the point of a house if I have no kids to put in? Our conversation was actually recorded across three different locations between London and Ireland. And of course, from time to time, the technology gave us a bit of a wobble, but bear with us and you'll enjoy a fascinating conversation with two amazing women discussing this incredible film and their inspirational careers. It's fair to say they left our sponsorship director, Lara, who hosted the conversation, completely starstruck. By the way, if you haven't seen the film yet, then turn off the podcast when Lara mentions the spoiler alert. Claire and Philida really want you to enjoy the film with fresh eyes as much as possible, but come back later to hear them discuss more about the ending. On another note, since we recorded this chat, things have changed even more for cinemas and there's currently no firm release date. So watch this space. 
finally, we'd like to thank the Irish Emigrant Support Programme for their ongoing support of our work, including this podcast series. Now, over to Lara, Claire and Philida. Welcome to um, this Irish Film um, London podcast. My name's Lara Ramden. I'm the Sponsorship Director for Irish Film London. I'm delighted to be talking to you both. I have seen the film. I also do have a ticket for the showing next week at the BFI. You must be very excited for um, herself to be showing at the London Film Festival. Being a big film fan, I'm also really pleased to be able to get back into the cinema myself, as must you be as filmmakers, because obviously all filmmakers make their films for, for the cinema. And how are you both? I mean, uh, we, we're sort of out of lockdown, but we're not in lockdown and we're, we're fiddling about with technology. How, how have you been and how are you doing during these unprecedented times, which seems very cliched now, but they, but they are unprecedented? Um, okay. <laughs> I guess we're just going step by step like everybody else. I mean, um, in Dublin, we're in a kind of another lockdown and I, I think my brain's refused to believe it on some level because I still, I'm just determined to go out and get takeaway food and takeaway coffees and do the whole supporting people as much as I can. Um, and I, I love going for walks with people, so I'm trying to do that as well. But I would say, um, yeah, it's definitely an adaption, a period of adaption. But weirdly, with our film, we're sort of releasing on time because that was kind of the plan. So there's a strange continuation going on with herself. Did so. you go through an emotional journey, though? Because when it was, it, you know, it obviously started at Sundance and it got great reviews and then you thought mm. this is great and there's momentum and I guess in your mind you were planning for I, I guess you must have been planning for Toronto and then London and so and so have you been on somewhat of an emotional roller coaster because those those things must have changed at some point you must have thought oh is TIFF going ahead is London going you know that must have been for both of you that must have been oh gosh what what happens to our film yeah Phil I have you been feeling with that <laughs> I mean, I think that when we were at Sundance, it was just such an incredible uh, experience for, for both of us, just the, the reception of the film and then Amazon buying it and saying to us, we're going to put it to sleep for six months. And us thinking, oh, okay, well, we'll just go on about our lives and carry on with our work and our business and see you in the fall. Um, and so it's been really strange that the world then totally shifted, but our film was sleeping. And I think what's been sort of moving about it is that the film, which is about somebody, you know, in isolation, sort of in, in a very isolated place, who then comes out into a community, suddenly feels as if it's almost uncanny how the film seems to resonate with everything that has occurred in terms of you know are you a good neighbor you need your neighbors um the amount of women who are living in domestic situations of domestic abuse and how that has intensified during this period so it feels very strange we feel i wouldn't say lucky but we feel very privileged that we're yeah that we're suddenly at London, it, it feels sort of humblingly like we're ready for this moment. And I think the sense of community, so the, the, the point at which um, Ado talks about Mikkel and this sense of community is very much at the sort of, 
is is at the heart of the film, which, as you say, does fit very well with how we've. I feel in some places we've in all places, unfortunately, but in some places how we've evolved during lockdown. This sense of community has become more and more prevalent, and this idea of you helping others so that you can also be helped has become more important, hasn't it? Um, big time. <laughs> I would say big time. Yeah. Um, so Claire, obviously this is a very personal project to you. You, you co-written co it and also mm -hmm. starring in it. Um, I'm sure you've been asked this a hundred times, but I'm going to ask this question for, for our audience. What inspired you to write this story and, and how did you um, come together with Malcolm? Um, right, Cause actually um, the same as she met you at the Galway Flower a while mm -hmm. ago and you had this story and and you, and you wanted to write it, but you weren't necessarily sure how to go about it. So ha, ha, what happened in the meantime from then and to, until now? Oh, I would have been on like draft seven or eight by the time I met you, because <laughs> I was working on it on my own for years, you know, um, and then Malcolm came on board in the final year to lift it into that place of like shootable screenplay, but also really helped me because well, this was a project that was very research heavy in the end. Mm -hmm. So it began with a spark in New York when I was um, auditioning there in 2014 and going through the kind of pilot season thing for the first time, reading a lot of scripts. And I suppose because you're reading so much so fast, you start to have this sort of little um, kind of inner tick that just kind of knows like, this is a really good one or else this is a story that I couldn't give a crap about or this is a story I really care about. And I began to realise that the proportion of um, stories I cared about to not was quite like small. And in the midst of all that, I was, um, yeah, I was on the phone to my friend, a dear friend of mine who had three kids, single mother, and she had to get, move out of her place within a month and she couldn't find anywhere. It was literally when the, the crisis was really kicking off, when you looked on Daft or you looked on whatever website and there was nothing and nothing affordable and really there was literally nothing. So she ended up in, in a kind of situation where she thought she was gonna to have to go to a hotel, but she actually stayed with her parents, but living in one room for 10 months and um, with three children, which was really tough and far from their schools and all this kind of thing. And I suppose I was just, I was standing there in New York on the phone going for all these auditions that I, I was not struggling with or like having a problem doing, but just kind of not feeling very passionate about and feel, not feeling very like, you know, my heart pulled to, didn't pull towards them. And then my friend is in this situation. And I suppose in that moment, I was just like thinking this is all wrong. It's all wrong in every way. I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time and she shouldn't be experiencing this. And so in that moment, it was like a, a wish. I googled, you know, self-built Ireland <laughs> and then self-built Ireland cheap. And it was because I was wishing she could just go to the side of all the usual red tape and just put her hands on some bricks and wood and like build a house for herself on a secret little bit of land and be done with it. Because I know in her heart, she's a really independent spirit and doesn't want to have to depend on things all the time or, or look for it outside of herself. She wants to be proficient and, and self-sufficient and, and get on with her life and enjoy her life. And I think a lot of people feel like that. So it was kind of that wish that brought me to uh, the Google moment and then finding Dominic Stevens um, design for 25,000 euro online. And that was it. I, I mean, once I saw that somebody had built a house for 25,000, I was like, right, it's possible. 
and that began the story really and um, it just came like a flash it was like a woman helps herself and therefore attracts the right kind of help and, and in order to do this huge thing like what spurs her something almost life-threatening and that's where the the kind of domestic violence story came in did you find it to get difficult did you find it difficult to get funding for the to make the film um, I'd say it just went on its own journey. I didn't really, I think at first I just knew, okay, I'm somebody with very little experience in film. I hadn't had a lot of screen time at that point. And all I wanted was to just at least start with the basic step of like, I wonder if I could get a screenplay development award. So I at first just tried to train myself up and write a bit. And when I applied for the 2015, that year I didn't get it. So I was like, oh, okay, I didn't get it. But I just kept working on it anyway, because I just, you know, it's something I'll let you go. And then, um, so I kept going and I got it. I actually got a writer's retreat at the Anna McCarrick Centre, which was lovely. And that gave me great confidence because it was just time to be there and learn from other writers and all that kind of thing. And then I did a, a table read in Bow Street without ever having anyone else work on it or, or script editors or anything. And that was really helpful because it was just listening to, to actors bring it alive which was a huge step in the process so that would have been in 2015 as well and then I said right I'm going again I'm going again for the Irish Film Board and this time um, I got uh, I got to meet Rory Gilmartin for a coffee first because apparently it really helps if you talk to them first and that was because um, oh my god her name escapes me now oh my god sorry I'm having one of those uh, and sorry Nikki Gogan, thank you. Okay, sorry. Nikki Gogan said, let me try and get you to have a coffee with, with Rory Martin. So it was really her giving me a way in. I made a short film with her and, um, and that was it. Then I, I had a chat with him and then I got the funding then in 2016. And so that was, so it was really step by step. I was never like, oh, this is really difficult for me. I just knew I was new to it all and I was gonna have to, you know, just do it step by step. So, so then, yeah, it went on and on from there. And Sharon got a read of it and loved it, and the rest is history. <laughs> and you and Philida have worked together before, right? You've worked together on the Shakespeare trilogy, which, incidentally, I saw. I saw the that production. Oh, great! At the St Anne's, because I used to live in I used to live in Brooklyn um, for three years. So I saw it at the St Anne's warehouse. It completely blew me away. That production, by the way both of you that was I actually think it bamboozled the Brooklyn audience I think they felt like oh, what have we just seen here um it was amazing um so was Philida were you were you on it right from the very beginning or did you come along much uh, much later no I wasn't but sometime around this period when Claire was auditioning in America and I was thinking for God's sake you know hire this woman on screen because you'd be so lucky to have her in any of these projects, which weren't probably worthy of her, I don't know, um, that she gave me the screenplay to read. And my first thought was, you know, she's a first time writer and what an incredible sense of, a natural sense of the kind of proportion of film she had, um, the, the relationship between, uh, silence and words between image and words and also that she was trying to tell this incredibly harrowing story but with such um sort of wit and hope um it it 
it was, you know, we have seen films about um, people struggling out of, out of ab abusive situations, but, but I hadn't read anything quite like this. And at that time I was thinking this should probably be directed by an Irish director, somebody who really knows the city, the territory. And then gradually I just got more and more excited and um, felt I want to put myself forward for this. And Claire was very sort of selflessly not saying I've got to play the lead in my own film. Um, had been thinking about maybe she might play, there was a sister character in it. And I just felt more and more sort of possessed by the fact that Claire had to play the lead in her own movie. And um, that maybe if I, we gathered up, you know, the strength of our forces together, um, I could sort of help to make that happen. Um, and by the time we met um, Ed Guiney and, and Sharon, um, we were sort of saying, this is a kind of deal breaker. We want this to happen. And though we knew that it would not make it necessarily easier for them to raise the money, um, they were totally behind us. And, you know, there were some great women who ran the funding bodies that, that came on board, um, the BBC and the BFI and, and, and Screen Ireland. Um, there, there were sort of women point people either running the organisations or, or designated to our project. And they just, there was kind of real um, sort of unanimous support for what the film was trying to do and... Yeah, I mean, you get, you put through, you know, rightfully through a ringer, it's public money and the due diligence they all did on behalf of their, their taxpayers um, was impressive. But it's, you, as you know, it's, it's a long process getting a movie actually to be shot. It deals with some very, obviously, some very um, important, um, but, but quite intense and serious themes, domestic abuse, homelessness, um, and it does also um, show quite, in a subtle way, but still a very clear way, this sort of um, futile situation with homelessness in the Dublin area. There's one point in the film where she goes to the DSS and shows the DSS woman the business case to say, you know, you'd be better off giving me this money than putting me in a hotel. And the, and the woman just says, well, I can't help you. Um, was that really important to you to, to make clear, Claire, in, in your script? because um, um, I think you referenced it with your friend as well, this futility of the situation. Yeah, it was really important to me. The whole thing is a fiction, but it's based on huge research and facts. So that was always the, the thing. We were trying to balance it between like, because it is a story of great hope and resilience, but it's certainly no Disney film. You know, it's kind of uh, based on what could actually be done. And I think that was the most exciting thing about it. I think that's why we all felt something a little extra on set, because we were like, this is something that could actually happen. And so it's not just complete fantasy. And so actually at the time, they were real figures that I used um, at the time. That's what was. Yeah. So they're actual figures that I worked out. It was very difficult <laughs> doing lots of maths. But um, it was, uh, no, honestly, it was, it was, that was really, really vital to the story because we, we had a lot more material of Sandra going around and researching and looking up stuff, but that only, you can only watch so much of that when you're watching the movie. So when you just have a good old, like, just watch her coming up against a social body and just seeing how it 
pitches as an idea. And um, it was kind of inspired actually by Dominic Stevens, the architect who designed the house, kind of pitching great social housing um, solutions and ideas back when it was the Celtic Tiger in Ireland. And they just sort of laughed him out the building, to be honest. It was just not the time. <laughs> but like if, if, if he had been a bit more listened to then, there'd probably be a little bit more structure in place right now. Because um, you have to think ahead. You have to think in the future when you're an architect or a planner of cities and how things are working and when population is grown. So, yeah, I guess it was important to me to show real facts and figures and things that, that actually go on. Did you work with any of the agencies in, in Ireland or in Dublin? Did you, did you work with Women's Aid, for example? Although I have to say the, the, the character, Joe is not particularly um, warm or friendly, let's put it that, so, or, or even empathetic, but um, uh, did oh, you? Oh, I think she is. Oh, no, when she calls into the kids, I think she's, no, I think she is. But I think I was trying to show that these uh, women, the, the people, sorry, men and women on the front line of that issue, they, they have to fight like warriors for these women, but also be very real with these women. Um, I spoke to Sinead um, Harrison in Women's Aid. That was one of my first meetings. And it was about two and a half hours long. And I, and I found out everything really there. <laughs> a lot of my basic information was there. And um, I suppose it was just the harsh truths I found out about what it's like to go into court, excuse me, kicked my camera tripod there. And um, I needed, I really wanted to get that across. Uh, I also wanted to get across that these women are not victims. It's not like that they're, uh, or the tone of it, sorry, shouldn't be so victim-like because I think they're brave when they're staying and they're even braver when they're leaving because choosing to leave is not just a hard thing to do for them because they're so gaslit or afraid or have nowhere to go. It's actually because like they, they really don't have somewhere to go. And uh, they kind of, in, in, they know when they go through the process itself that it isn't over, especially if you have kids, that the abuse might actually just get worse on the visits and on the access. So it's like, the whole thing is built up in risk. And also it has been statistically proven that it's the window of time between the woman or person, sorry, it can be a man as well, deciding to leave an abusive partner and the moment when they leave, that, that window of time is the most high frequency of uh, murder. Like that's when, that's when that happens. So it's so dangerous all the time. So like they're not victims. They're soldiers. They're on the front line of a war. And when you read books about PTSD and trauma and what they're actually going through, they are literally the same as soldiers. So I just wanted to get across that feeling and that they're like under attack. So for them to choose to do anything, everything is, is, has huge stakes, you know? Yes, and, and, and it's all about um, weighing everything up, right? Because you could even, I think, the point that Philida made about the silences and the dialogue is really important because you could you could physically see the thought process she's going through when she's looking at a picture of her and, and Gary and then she's looking at the children and you can see she's saying, should I go back? Should I stay here? I'm not I'm in a hotel room with my children, I'd be better off, you know, and, and you can all of that is shown across her face and it is and I, I agree one hundred percent with you that they're not they're not victims, they are brave. It is a brave choice to leave and it certainly isn't easy. Um, 
I wanted to talk to you specifically about the children, actually, because I thought the two girls were were amazing actually and um and this is a very tough story for them to be in um and and particularly um the way in which they portray the fact that they're pulled between the two of you their mum and their dad somewhat and the way molly also demonstrates how the situation is affecting her is also done really really well um did you obviously that you how involved were you in the casting why did you choose those choose those two girls in particular and was it difficult for you on set after you had to film scenes like that because um i'm not a mother but i have three nephews and i my my, my heart immediately went out to those children i was like oh my gosh what what was it like for them afterwards when they cut and you know after she did the scene in the wardrobe for example um yeah so i'd like you to talk a little bit about the girls um, I probably have turned it over to Phyllida for this one because she has some cracking <laughs> stories that she always tells about Molly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were Claire. First of all, was very involved in the casting, and the point was to mm -hmm. try to find to make a family of them. And Claire's brilliant kind of mummy anyway, with lots of sisters and nephews and nieces. But but those kids were they were remarkable. One of them's had a lot of experience, the younger one, and the older one has never been on a film set before. Um, they had a very robust attitude to it all. And the moment I tried to, in a slightly, you know, time's running out, futile moment of patronizing one of them when um, Ian was trying to strap one of them into the back of the car and she was meant to be quite silent, not speaking to him at all. And um, she just couldn't help herself. Every time he said, are you all right there, Moll? She was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And um, I kept saying, you, you're not going to speak to your dad. You, you're not going to speak. And she kept piping up. And eventually I said, look, Moll, you're not going to speak to him until he says sorry to your mom for, for what he's done. And she just turned to me with this withering look and said, is sorry enough? And I thought, okay don't patronize them they've read the script they've been really well prepared but they were you know they were a defining in element on on the set because we wanted to create that sort of good atmosphere family atmosphere in which you know everybody feels safe enough to to then take risks and obviously you can't push them to the point of you know you 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 lead them and encourage them to in in the scenes where they had to cry or whatever it was and then you just go you know the rest will make up perhaps with additional recording and they came back to do additional recording of more crying and more this and they were again they were like little soldiers they were just in there doing the adr doing the lip syncing i, I totally fell for ruby and um, i took them out to the cinema on a little trip after the movie actually and um, but I think what was important in the story and then actually I realized informed us all on set was that the idea for Sandra to build a house kind of comes from her children. Like they are the spark of inspiration. They're this spark of energy that's just determined to go on. And despite all the stuff that's happening around them and they can take it. Like, and, and, and especially the eldest one, um, Ruby who plays Emma, because she has the little code word thing with her mammy and it's a little packed and it's like she might not be old enough to know everything say that character 
but she definitely knows what she has to do for her mammy. And it's like this little mission. And I think these these kid, child actors that they are like, I think they had they had their mission and they were just on it and, and you could just trust them. And they were good at sort of separating themselves from the drama on some level. And of course, we didn't have them on set for some things that they didn't need to actually be there for. You know, you obviously do that as well. But um, I think their parents were incredible as well at just explaining the script to them. That really helped. Yeah, yeah they were. They must have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how did you go about casting the rest of the cast then? So Harriet and, and, and Conley Teal, who also play pivotal roles in, in the film, in the story. I mean, it's interesting that a lot of the actors have theatre backgrounds. And I think, you know, my experience is that those people who do are very relaxed on set. And we needed, in order to um, create the ensemble and create the sort of freedom of, of, of sort of performance um, to have people, Harriet Conleth, Ian, Kathy Belton, Claire, who really had that, that kind of, that confidence to be that relaxed and be able to respond and improvise with the kids. And um, so it was, it was an incredible privilege working with such amazing Irish actors. It was, it was wonderful. And of course they were all very invested in Claire. They wanted the best for her. It meant a huge amount. And, and the kind of social mission of the film was sort of embraced by, by everybody on it. And Claire had written in that there was this diversity in, in the car, you know, in the, amongst the ensemble and we were very open when we met people um, in casting, you know, a, a Spanish character became a Brazilian because we met a lovely Brazilian actress and the Polish character became a Russian. And so that Claire was very open to who's there in the city, who's in front of us, you know, who, who is going to be um, a sort of beautiful team player in our, in our ensemble. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it represents real, the true Dublin in that way, right, Claire? That, that, that you yeah. have this sort of extremely diverse and multicultural, or the Dublin of today, as it were, uh, yeah. extremely diverse and multicultural community helping you to build a house. Yeah, I was kind of writing what I was seeing in a way over the years of research as well. And I just didn't, I just wanted to be mindful of that. And, you know, I think, um, look, in this great age of us all wanting things to change for the better, but like Black Lives Matter and and gender issues. And I actually really worked hard during the, the drafts. I would try and sometimes even describe people as like white, female, this, black, da da, or like, you know, like just starting the small steps to get more aware of like, let's not assume that everybody's white. Like just start with your character descriptions. I wanted to, to challenge myself. And that was like just from the start, like five years ago. And now I feel like scripts are going to look a lot different if we, if we get behind all this change and not accept that like white is the bar, the, the, you know, the given. And that then you have to say when it's a uh, female or say when it's, you know, oh, this is a, a woman from India or this, is, you know, 
like I just think that's really important and also to have somebody like Daniel in the cast as well playing Francis uh, Connett's son and stuff like that I just think like let's just like take it as a given that you just include 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 if i could have i would have had um somebody who was deaf or hard of hearing involved as well because i did i played a, a deaf person once and i was just fascinated with how much better i acted when i was playing a deaf person <laughs> because you have to listen with your heart and your eyes and a different way of listening so i don't know like i just think that's really important to me definitely but also we're just showing it how it is now like it's a global village like so you know where in dublin was it filmed kelly and i have a bet as to where in dublin it was filmed actually because the house <laughs> that's because kelly's from that's because kelly's from hope isn't she <laughs> um, <laughs> we were trying to guess i mean the, the the house a house is a character in the film isn't it so we were we were trying to wonder uh, we, we were just figure, trying to figure out where it's filmed and did you actually film it in did you build a house in a back garden or did you build a house somewhere somewhere yeah. else yeah it was in a back garden it was quite and yeah it was a big back garden <laughs> kelly thinks it's black rock no oh, it's, um, <laughs> it was actually the north side but not too far north i don't okay. want to give away the people's house just in case you okay, don't need to worry we were just wondering where where in dublin mm. so you um so you built it in actually in someone's back garden and did you use Dominic Stevens' twenty-five thousand euro? Yeah, app? you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. <laughs> and Claire and I actually went on a, a course the year before to learn how to do it, how to build a timber frame building. We went for an incredible time to the Centre of Alternative Technology in Wales to learn how to use lethal power tools and do very. <laughs> Lifting that left our very method, the both of you, but and, and became house builders. Well, it, it really made you feel you know, they say you don't if you don't know how something works, you don't own it, and it was a really mm. interesting sort of philosophical kind of journey. Of that, it was really important. It, I think it also just helped us realize like that would be such a good experience for somebody like Sandra. Um, because I'd studied a lot academically about like things that you go through and in, in coming out of these things but I was like oh just the simplest things like lots of fresh air we're, we're concentrating on something every day that get that you see manifest in front of you just chatting to people lightly about the weather or like can you pass me that thing and working together it 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 really does do something for you I, I really I felt kind of like I wanted to be a builder after a while. <laughs> I was like, I get why people do this. I get why that's a choice to be a laborer or work at something like that. It's, it's really amazing. I think you might be getting a call from Habitats from Humanity after this, Claire, to, come, to, come, <laughs> yeah. to ask them to join and build houses. Obviously this is an Irish film, an Irish production. I mean, you've worked in many, many different things, both of you. Um, have you seen, as you've taken this around the world, have you seen a different attitude towards the story of the film? Because it's Ireland-based, it's Irish actors, and I, 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 an Irish story. Do you feel like internationally or even nationally it's perceived differently? Mm, I don't know, what would you say to that, Phil? I feel like I mean, it's I quite a local story, but you know. I asked the same question for Cartoon Saloon a week ago, and um, they felt that they felt that they got a better reception outside of Ireland than in Ireland as animators and they felt that they got to you know 
for breadwinner and and, and so on they, they they got a better reception so we we're just wondering whether or not you you found the same uh, i mean i wouldn't you know when i started this journey with somebody saying to me a film it's very hard for a film without stars to even leave ireland to get across the either pond you know west or or, or to to the uk and i thought well let's see um <laughs> with this with claire and this screenplay but i think we both felt in Sunday, I mean, we had an incredible reception in Dublin, so there was no question of it not being um, passionately received there. It was amazing. It was such a, an amazing moment at the Dublin Film Festival. But it felt, when we went to Sundance and people stood up and said at Q&As, this is my story, you know, my mum picked me up and ran with me, or that it's it, it really is what, we wanted it to be a, you know, it's a Dublin story, but it's a, it's a world story. And that actually, it seemed to really resonate with people in the States in just the way it had in Ireland. And I feel hopeful, you know, that that will be the case in actually in non-English speaking, you know, territories as well. I, I just feel... Yeah. Um, the housing crisis is so worldwide. I 100% agree that I think it's a global theme. There's one point in the film that actually reminded me of a um, situation in the States was when um, uh, Sandra tries to go through the lobby of the hotel and the guy says, no, no, don't go through there, go through this. And in the States, I, I don't know whether you, because you've both obviously been there and probably lived there, in new buildings in New York, in New York, new buildings have to be built with a certain amount of social housing in them. So, the latest sort of building that when I was there was in Hudson Yards in Midtown, and there was a big debate at the time because the builder was building an entrance for the people that were paying normal rent and a separate entrance for all the people for the social housing people that they had to build. And it, it, it meet just that one scene immediately reminded me of that discussion in New York. So it's absolutely 100% a global issue and a global theme. So I, I do think it will, trans I, I do believe it will translate to audiences everywhere. Was there any question for you that it would be set in Dublin, Claire? I mean, did you think about setting it anywhere else? No, it was always Dublin only because that's just kind of where I felt like the gravitational pull and it's my hometown and maybe because I was so passionate about that very issue in Dublin that's what was driving me I guess on some level and also um, by the time I was into the development process with Element and everything it was just like no it's definitely it's Dublin I'm gonna base myself there I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go for that because I think especially for your first stories as a writer people say write what you know or write what you're close to, but like I have a huge love affair with Dublin, and uh, it's just that like I'm gonna do it there, and then and then I'll be brave and maybe step out of that territory uh, with my next thing, you know? Because I know it, it already takes enough research and work to write a story. So if you know certain things, or you have the the quality of dialogue or speech or how people talk already, it's a little bit then okay, I I have that, and then I can work on the other things that I don't have, you know. So, but also I remember reading um, the head of Amazon, actually, I think it was 
uh, Amazon film, she said once in an interview, because I, I went to a talk with Kirsten Sheridan, and she actually said to, to her in a meeting once, um, the more local you write a story, the more universal its appeal. And I, I hung on to that. I had a, a quote stuck on my wall at one point just to remind myself, like, it doesn't matter. Just keep it really authentic, really human, write what you know, stick to the character's journey. And if it resonates universally, then that's great. But if it doesn't, at least you've written a very authentic story you know, told from the heart. So I think that's, that's important. Graham, no, I actually went to listen. I've been back in the theatre um, and, and I've been at the Bridge Theatre and the Palladium and Graham Norton actually did, um, he's launching his new book. And what he said was that he, he only writes what he knows and he can only write about Ireland and that he couldn't write about, you know, a family in Sheffield or Manchester, but he can write about Ireland and he knows about Ireland. Yeah. Um, so at, he said exactly what you said. You you wrote about what you know. You wrote about you wrote about Dublin, and um, yeah. So and and I think that audiences are clever enough to figure out whether or not that story is authentic or not, and therefore yeah. engaged and buy into it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and that's true for true for your story. Do you have other stories that you now would like to, now that you've, now that you're a pro at this, Claire, do you have other stories? Yeah, let's have a pitching session with Phyllida Lloyd. Yeah. <laughs> you have Phyllida Lloyd. You have a good 15 minutes. Let's pitch another story. Um, I mean, obviously, um, Phyllida loves making good stories that, um, that where the female is the, is the females are the lead, right? So Mamma Mia, Iron Lady, they're, they're all, where the woman is central to the story. So I'm, I'm sure you have other stories. Do you have other stories? Yeah, in I do, yeah, but I don't necessarily, like I don't start by thinking I have a vagina, so I better write something for a woman. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like just go, I'm a woman, and therefore I only write great women. Because like in the story, there's men, there's children, there's all sorts of people, and you can't, you know what I mean, just go on this mission. And But I think, so So like the idea for that, for my movie, it was really organic, and it came to me like a gift, you know? And so the things that I'm looking at, at the moment, like I definitely, I actually, um, there was something I wrote recently, so I did a writing workshop, but it was actually, I, I realized I think I'm writing a play, but it was so funny because one of the characters I'd written as a man, and then, uh, and then one of my, my co, one of my writers in the group was like, I think that might be a woman, Claire. <laughs> I was like, for God's sake. I was like, let me write a decent man. Uh, no, no, I'm only messing. And I do have things in me. I don't, I'm, they're at the very early stages though. And so they're going to be whatever they're going to be, you know. And there will be women in them. There will be <laughs> men in them. There will be humans. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask um, another question, which I'm going to ask now because it's a little bit spoiler-tastic. So, okay. Um, we're putting it towards the end of the end of the hour um, just because we want to release this podcast in to coincide with the film but not to spoil the film obviously um okay. the ending i did not expect the ending at all um uh, and um so i'd like to obviously explore with you a little bit more the choice of that ending and because i think well i thought it was going to end with sort of fade out with the gathering with the singing and, and so on. Mm -hmm. And obviously there was the ending. Um, 
obviously you're the writer, you're the creator. This is something that was important to you. So what made you choose that particular, that particular ending, Claire? Um, I want to preface this with I really don't want people to listen to this bit of it, <laughs> like before watching the film. We're going to it. We're going to it. So, yeah, it's just so like we are avoiding it at all costs and traders and stuff. So just to say, sure, it would be great to leave it as a, as a huge surprise. But what I will say is just in the journey of writing it, I do still remember the day that it dawned on me that that it has to be about her and not the house saving her. And it has to be about what's behind everything. And it was, if you think you cried, I cried for days because I realized that's where it's gonna have to go in order to truly triumph, in order for the human spirit to rise above all things physical in this story, that's where we have to go. And it was very simple actually, it was like a little triangle. So there's like, there's Sandra and then there's Gary and then there's the house so she this is the center of her universe and then she finally breaks free and she goes now that can be the center of my universe so she was always hanging on to fixed points outside of herself to be the center of the universe and she realizes oh no I'm okay here on my own without anything or anyone it's like do you know what I mean it was like this weird visual that I saw and it was like no more fixed points she is the point she is herself she is able to do anything like that she decides to do but also that she finally yeah lets go of hanging on to anything else and realizes she has the resolve she has the love she has the will and the life and she can accept herself you know and it was just a very very big part of the journey i remember but it wasn't it wasn't uh you know, it wasn't in the first few months I realised that was going to happen. It was really far on, like. It was beautifully filmed. The cinematography is amazing, um, Philida. It really is a, it, it's a, it's a, I mean, obviously it's not, not beautiful, but to it is beautiful visually to, to, to watch. Um, yeah, um, Tom Comerford, who shot it, um, did an incredible job in, you know, the, the, the sort of, what I wanted to try to do was, even though we only had five weeks, which, um, you know, can sometimes result in things looking quite raw and rough, was to try and sort of retain the poetry that, that, that Claire had in the screenplay. And, and also, we, we, I had some sort of really strict rules about staying close to Sandra. That was the sort of we'll stay with Sandra and we will leave the room with Sandra and enter the room with Sandra. And so we won't overshoot. We'll spend the time we are spending on actually on Sandra and not everything else. Um, but yeah, I'm really proud of what he, he did for us. It, it, it looks great. So are you, have you guys been back in the cinema? I thought that's it for possible spoilers. We'll, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys been back in the cinema yourselves yet? Uh, since lockdown? Personally, I haven't because I was in a hotel bubble for some filming and I wasn't allowed. But once this lockdown lifts um, here in Dublin, I'm, I'm near a cinema and I can't wait to get in. Mask or whatever, I'll get in. <laughs> will, you be joining the, will you be joining the showing um, of herself at the London Festival, uh, maybe virtually for a Q&A or? 
I think so. Yeah, I think so. I we did some pre-recorded stuff as well. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've 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 recorded. I mean, I'll be actually there, but Claire and I've recorded um, a Q and A for it. So, what's next for both of you then? Um, is it theatre? Is it film? Is it writing? I mean, you're multi-talented women, so it could be anything. It could be building houses. <laughs> now that both of you are, you know, builders, also to add to the many list of accolades. Philadelphia, uh, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Claire's being much more productive than I am because she's like actually really um, in the field and I'm um, sitting at my desk kind of trying to work out what, how to react to what's in front of me. Yeah, I've got, I've got a way to go before I'm actually in the field again, but I'm happy to have this time to try to, um, yeah, to, to work on some development stuff. Do you, do you have a preference, Philida? Do you prefer working in film or theatre or it's just equal for both, equal for you? It's just equal. I just feel I couldn't um, be on a, uh, I couldn't be shooting a movie all the time. I don't know how people do that, that somehow the, the toll of it, um, I don't want to sound like a complete drama queen, but it is, um, it's goodbye to your life entirely um, making a movie and, so I need a, a real gest, long gestation period to get all my um, energy in the right place. And theatre is a lot more, let's do the show right here. I'm talking to my friend Fiona Shaw at the moment about what we call kitchen projects, which is she comes round, we start performing for ourselves in one of our kitchens. And that's a much easier, you know, in, in the world that we're in at the moment, that's the easier thing to um, bring to life. So that's probably where I'll go in the next few months. Have you been back in the theatre yourself? Yes, in fact, I went back on Monday and Tuesday. I rode my bicycle across London to the Aldwych where my production of Tina Turner was running, the, the musical, and went and did some work on that with the actors, exploring how to stage the, the sort of socially distanced version of that um for um europe and that was kind of a really emotional experience going back into a theater with actors it was kind of really but it it you know it shows we're 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 sallying forth we're stepping forward back in back back in that world i am um, i was in the bridge theater last night watching um uh, maxine peak and tamsin greek do talking heads and um, it's an extraordinary feeling to, as an audience member, it's an extraordinary feeling to be back in the theatre and to be that close to, uh, to these live performances. I think the Bridge Theatre, I think social distancing in the theatre must be a huge challenge for any production, but I think the Bridge Theatre have done it so far with this particular series of plays uh, very well. I feel yeah. quite comfortable when I'm there. That's um, great. So what's next for you then, Claire? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm going to be shooting something. I'm just not allowed to talk about it right now, but I'm going to be shooting something and acting a lot for a few months, which is lovely because I, 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 I didn't actually act since um, my movie. Like I haven't acted on screen since that. So it's like almost a year and a half on and I'm acting again. 
And so that's lovely. Um, I'm also hoping to write within the next year, just write some new stuff as well. What does that look like acting for you? Does that mean that you're, you're sort of in a bubble for a period of time before you act and then you're only in that bubble while you're acting and then... Each production company does it differently, but everyone has now got COVID staff hired and you get trained in and you probably have to be quite careful in your personal life. But essentially, I just did, I shot a very tiny role in, in the last jewel directed by Ridley Scott and that was just very thorough like we were in a hotel bubble and because it was a film there was a bubble if you're doing a long-term thing you probably couldn't do a bubble but um yeah so it's all about regular testing and uh the usual the hand gels the masks only taking off your mask for the takes and um, and just trying to be really mindful I mean that's basically all you can do and if it's about getting ahead of the problem if somebody tests positive, I suppose. But yeah, I'm just delighted that things are slightly moving forward because I think inevitably some of us will just end up getting it asymptomatically, you know, and not know and things like that. So like there's a certain amount we can control, there's a certain amount that we can't. It's about just being really mindful and looking out for the people that it could actually affect on a much worse level, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's the main thing, so. Yeah. Can, I, um, can I ask you something non-movie related? Do, you, do both of mm-hmm. you wear the same necklace and does it have some significance? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been looking at it for the last hour. I hope you don't mind me asking about it because it looks lovely, but I'm I've kind got of... I've got to speak first because it's my present from Claire. It's my <laughs> St. Bridget cross. It's, it's a St. Bridget cross. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I'm very, um, very proud of it. <laughs> I got one for Sharon and Philida and Harriet after the movie because St. Bridget was really with us, I think. When I wrote that, it's pretty pretty badass, right? Uh, I I especially like the way Emma tells the story, by the way. Yeah. yeah. She was the ultimate feminist. You know, she was ahead of her time and she literally used to just, like, there's the pagan version and the Christian version, but both versions of the story of St. Bridget are brilliant because she just kind of says, here, give us a bit of land, will you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, I'll, uh, and I'll sort these poor people out for you. And, um, but she's the ultimate, uh, I think she's the ultimate idol to have uh, because the more I learned about her, like the things I discovered about St. Bridget along the way were brilliant. Like she also, uh, there's a huge backstory of her life, um, probably the pagan version, where she um, slept in a bed with another female nun and it's never talked about. It's like, they really? think she was one of the first um, either bisexual or lesbian uh, women known in Ireland, but um, it's just very not talked about. And I'm like, what? what but apparently she was such an idol as well for like all the women that she trained in about how to work with poor people as well. And it was all her, um, what she gave off is in, in the film, that thing of like giving people the start of a new life, not just handing them a bunch of money and just saying that'll keep you going for a while. It's, you know, it's that typical thing, give, give a man a goat kind of thing. Um, or a fishing rod, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, St. Bridget is with all of us. And my, my boyfriend turned around at my birthday and, during lockdown and he said, I just loved how it looked on Philida and Sharon. And I just thought you should have one as well. So he went and got me on as well. Mm. <laughs> that's lovely um, so, um, so you all have this sort of special bond even when you're not together now 
because you're all yeah. protected, rigid. By the same bridge of the legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I'd like to thank you all both very much for your time. It's been great talking to you. I'm really looking forward to seeing herself again on a big screen on Thursday. So I will be there at the showing. I hope to see you, Philidon, and yeah. meet you in person. Um, and Claire, I'll wave at you on the screen when you when, when yes. call in. By a <laughs> I look forward to seeing you on screen again as well, Claire, and can't wait to see what you write next. And yeah, it's been lovely to speak to you. Thanks so much for the time for Irish Film London. Our viewers, our listeners will really appreciate it. Well, that's a wrap from Claire, Philida and Lara. Thank you, ladies, for giving us your time and thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, there's more to come. So remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts from and check out irishfilmfromhome.com too. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Simply search Irish Film London on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And a final thank you to the Irish Emigrant Support Programme, who've been a wonderful support of ours for a number of years, providing encouragement and vital support. Gurmila Mahagut. The Irish Film Podcast is presented by me, Neve Brannigan. It was written and produced by Lara Ramden. Our executive producer is Kelly O'Connor. We're mixed and edited by Owen Billcliffe. And our theme music is by the supremely talented Kevin McLeod. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.